everyone and welcome to the Atomic Cinema Experiment. I am Peter and joining me as always is Tara. Greetings citizens, you damn dirty apes. <laughs> we are a science fiction movie podcast. We get together every week, we've watched the movie, we talk about it, we are working our way through of course the Planet of the Apes franchise. And we did the first two already, this is us tackling number three in the series which is Escape from Planet of the Apes. Which... It's just an app title, yeah. I mean, I, I think some of the titles in this series are a bit clunky. Uh, the, in fact, the best ones, the new trilogy, I think, are all titled the wrong thing. But um, this one makes I would a lot agree of sense. With that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if not, if nothing else, Rise and Dawn should be flipped because I always mix them up anyway. Like yeah. I need, I need a moment to think about which one came first. Yeah. <laughs> because the dawn happens, then the rise happens, not the rise, then the dawn. But anyway. <laughs> I mean, they're both great titles. They're just, yeah. yeah. It's just hard to sort out which one came first. Yeah. This is why I like numbers. Yeah, why not just Planet of the Apes 2 and 3 and 4 yeah. or something? Horror movies do it. Why can't Why can't sci-fi movies? I mean, they used to do it. Now even they're scared to put a number on something. It's all colons. Hollywood. Colon here, colon there, colon everywhere too many colons you need a proctologist <laughs> i was actually thinking as i was saying colon a lot i was like well, how could i turn this into some sort of cancer joke but yes yeah, so cancer joke yeah colon He's... cancer <laughs> <laughs> uh, cancer of the grammar cancer of the grammar <laughs> <laughs> i went walking to a high school english class like read like a, a paragraph of someone's essay and go you're a cancer of the grammar and just walk out <laughs> But anyway, so yes, we're going to talk about Escape from the Planet of the Apes. This, of course, is the one that flips the premise and brings uh, Cornelius and, uh, what, Zira? What was it? Yeah. Zira. Yeah. Uh, brings them to present day, at the time of the film, of course, 1971. And, you know, flips the premise because now they're in our world rather than a human being in their world. And it's kind of... It's interesting how... I feel like a lot of movie franchises have kind of not not done this exact same thing, but they'll they'll do the, the mistake of just trying to make the sequel the same thing again. And don't get me wrong, Beneath does do some different things at the end, but for the most part, it wants to look and feel like Planet of the Apes, mm -hmm. and then they finally go, "Oh, let's do the obvious thing and flip it." I feel like a lot of franchises do this, but they don't do it till the third one. They try and just copy the first one the second time, uh, for whatever reason. Yeah, but like, what other option do you have when this? ending of your last movie blows up the planet of these. <laughs> well, yeah, but I'm, I'm saying they could have just skipped that and went straight to this. Oh, okay. You know, they didn't have to do the copying one. They could have just had, oh, did the ships here on Earth and, you know, because, I mean, it's not like we saw them, like, prepping the ship at the end of the last movie. This all happened off camera. This is, mm -hmm. the movie starts with just the, the, the ship lying in the, in the ocean and them, you don't you know, think that after the first Planet of the Apes that a sequel without Taylor would have been, I don't know, like disappointing to fans? Fans can be idiots. And I feel like this is one of these cases where we would have been better off just going straight to that. That, that, uh, that said, though. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't think Beneath is that good of a movie, obviously. You can check out our review, but I still enjoy it for what it is. Yeah, don't get me but, wrong. I love how yeah. dark the ending it was. <laughs> So go check our Beneath the Planet of the Apes review. This movie actually also has a pretty dark ending. 
one in fact yeah. i'm shocked because as as i i have the imdb page up as i often do just for character names and, and so on and so on and i i looked i noticed here it's got the it, you know it specifies for your own region so in my case it's got the uk rating right the, the rating for the film as in you know uh, our ratings are 12 15 18 pg you know the equivalent of pg 13 r rated whatever this film <laughs> rated g yeah this film in the uk is rated a u which is the equivalent of a g which is saying that it is like appropriate pre- for children of all ages pre- preschool friendly that's i mean i can't say it because we're not spoilers we're in spoiler free territory but something happens at the end of this movie that i would not describe as suitable i'll be honest i was like i need some uh, supervision for this one <laughs> yeah i guess i don't know i guess kids were a lot tougher in the 70s <laughs> apparently <laughs> all, all, all the 12 year old boys all had filled beards and were shaving you know with a straight uh, we're razor. gonna send you off to vietnam soon so might as well <laughs> i just i can't believe it i mean i would have accepted pg but i'd have still been surprised because of the ending it also this predates pg-13 so it wouldn't have been that anyway but yeah uh, so i don't know this is fascinating fascinating yeah, so, that is uh that is interesting but it is spoiler. I will start spoiler free, of course, as I was saying, and we'll give you a warning in the middle before we go into spoilers. Mm-hmm. So, oh, a minor spoiler: uh, Conquest for the Planet of the Apes, in our next movie, is rated PG. So expect <gasps> more violence. Wait, so the next one's going to have? Well, I'll joke what the next one could have. But you, <laughs> you have to hear the context of what this one has before that to, this to make any sense. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, so the premise is said is uh, Cornelius and Zira, uh, along with uh, a third ape, whose name I cannot remember. Uh, it's like uh, Milo, right? Oh yes, Milo, quite right. And they show up and it's this them that have been discovered by the army and officials befriending some scientists. They're kind of like the human equivalents of what they were in their society. And then ultimately kind of where that goes and the fears of the time and, and all that. So I don't want to get too much into it because I feel like the movie does definitely split into kind of two halves where the first half's a bit more happy-go-lucky of discovery and all the jokes mm-hmm. and all that. And then it sort of takes a bit of a turn and then just gets really dark at the end. <laughs> so, really dark. Really dark. It is a downward spiral of darkness. Yes. So it's funny because I would say this is the most light-hearted one for the first half and then it's funny, probably, even. Yeah. It's funny, yeah. It is probably, but it's probably the darkest one by the ending. Honestly. Yeah, it's super dark, and it's uh, it's actually pretty good. Oh, oh. The, the, the... Yeah, I started saying that, and then I realized, so oh, he's supposed to ask me first. That's all right. We can shake things up. We can shake <laughs> things up. It's fine. It's fine. I think this is, I mean, from what I remember of the next two movies, I think this is probably the best sequel. Just because it has so much to say and mm-hmm. it is very much a reversal of the first film which i mean for my money is a masterpiece <laughs> 10 out of 10 movie but uh, i think it i think it does a really good job of uh of you know flipping flipping the situations with the types of characters we're watching but still keep it interesting and it's still very much a reflection of of us and even the villain in the movie has a motivation that you can kind of understand because he's very much the the villain in this film is just dr zeus again but for humanity and you kind of don't blame him since you're also human but it's hard not to root for the apes because they're you know I, I the have, oppressed ones i have some thought, thoughts on uh, dr haslin 
uh, or Haslane, maybe his pronouns. Uh, I have some thoughts on that. Doctor Otto. Oh, that's his first name. Yeah. Don't uh, say Otto because I'm just going to think of Doc Ock like every time I say his name. <laughs> we can have that. Nerd. Pay me. <laughs> says, says the person who messaged me 10 minutes into the film like oh there's a voice in this from Star Trek the original series see if you can spot it yes I'm not talking about Ricardo Montalban who is in this movie Khan yeah, Khan shows up uh, <laughs> I think he's got a bigger role in the next one but yeah he shows up uh, later on in the film but yes yes, the president was the voice uh, of the character in the Doomsday Machine episode of Star Trek which the voice he was Commodore Decker. <laughs> all right. His voice all right. I recognize because he was always melting down in the episode. <laughs> all right. All right. Uh, so keep your nerd acquisitions to yourself. Thank you very much. Trekkies are like their own subsection of nerdum. Yes, yeah, so the all nerds make fun of. Mm-hmm. I guess that's true. <laughs> I mean, but you know, they're the- more respected because Trekkies tend to be like scientists and well-to-do people <laughs> astronauts you know every astronaut's a trekkie oh yes of course i didn't realize tara was working aboard the international space station during the yes. week when she's not on the podcast i'm a very prestige <laughs> level of nerd <laughs> yeah right above the anime fans all right that's yes. <laughs> so, uh, and i'll make it fun i like star trek too just for the record <laughs> Uh, misinterpreted any of that. Uh, so, yeah, I, I have some, I have some interesting thoughts on on Hassling. I, I feel like he, I, you're right in what you're saying, but there's actually, if you look into it a little bit deeper, there's actually kind of a a, a greater critique of humans and humanity a little bit, uh, mm-hmm. based on a speech that he makes at one point, which I want to get into as well when we start working through it. Uh, I mean, I think it's good too. I, I definitely the best of the original sequels, I think, at least from memory. Maybe, maybe I'll be surprised when we watch the fourth and fifth. Yeah, maybe I have. It's been a while since I've watched them all, but I always I always remember this one being pretty good. Yeah, it's it's definitely the most fun. I mean, that, that's that's first one. All the stuff with the apes interacting and kind of yeah, you know, discovering human clothes or human technology or interacting with various humans. They they have kind of a celebrity sort of thing going for a little bit, and all all that is pretty entertaining. And like I say, pretty lighthearted. And the darker mm-hmm. stuff. I don't think it's all as good per se. There's some good stuff in there. There's definitely some stuff that feels a little bit just ho hum. Ah, we're chasing, we're chasing, we're trying to find people. And blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, it's doing sort of typical '70s stuff to the point where at one point the score, which is actually by I think Jerry Goldsmith, I think I know what he did in the yeah, it is the the, the credits. Doesn't uh, sound like him to me. It though. doesn't. There's there's a point later on where there's a sort of tense chasing happening, mm-hmm. and the music that's playing is so kind of like oddly upbeat '70s music. It sounds like a kind of yeah. Weird. It sounds like a TV show score yeah, or something yeah, yeah. like uh, I don't know, Mannix maybe <laughs> or something. Maybe a Dragnet score. I don't know. It doesn't really sound uh, appropriate for the film. But then again, the the movie does take tonal shifts a lot, so maybe Goldsmith was just confused on what type of score to make. Yeah, it's it's probably. It's, I think it's the most fun because of the script and because you have these characters that we grew to like and kind of just, okay, let's just do this because mm-hmm. it's the obvious thing to do to explore. It's probably not super exciting on a like a direction level, I don't think. You know, there's mm. definitely some nice moments, but for the most part, it's, it's kind of typical 
Uh, I mean, I, I guess, I mean, you said, like, TV show. I, I wouldn't necessarily go that far, because 70s TV was definitely pretty basic. But this doesn't necessarily feel like super cinematic. You know, the first movie had a lot more vistas, had a lot more yeah. compositions that meant, you know, like, there was a lot more artistry in the film making, I suppose. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to say. You had the big sets. Yeah. Here you just have modern day. You know, it's you're automatically working with a little bit of a handicap there. I mean, also... they do well in, like, The Voyage Home, Star Trek Four, but, like, it's... It, I don't know. It's It can be a little... I think it can be challenging. What, what a force can... <laughs> First of all, a little bit of a handicap. What are you talking is... about? They're both, like, fish out of water, someone from the future in Oh, yeah, and, and, and premise, but we're talking about, uh, like, how the movies look. And you said that it's a bit of a handicap being in, like, present day. I'm like, oh, yeah, as opposed to the other 99% of movies that are just shot like for present day that well for science fiction <laughs> i think so like w- when you're coming from planet of the apes the first two which had these like huge vistas and these really cool exciting new worlds and and sets to explore both in the above ground and below ground civilizations and here you're just like oh yeah it's burbank like i've seen that <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> fine i'll accept the point but many a fantastic looking movie has been shot in Burbank, probably. It's true. I think Warner Brothers is there, so that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. So, I, yeah. I, so it's not like... I guess what I'm trying to say is it's, it's like a fun, solid sequel that feels like a... How do I put this? It, it does just feel like a sequel. It feels like it exists purely because we want to have a continuation of the story mm-hmm. without any of the prestige or, or whatever the or the original film. Yeah, but I think it does a good job of bringing in very like thought-provoking ideas and themes, and I think the end is still like still lives up to the Planet of the Apes name of like a gut punch twist ending. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, it it's hard to say how many franchises can do that to you as that three times in a row. You know, I was trying to see what the director Don Taylor. Oh uh, yeah, he's done uh, the Final Countdown. Uh, John was trying to see what I knew his name from. Is, is yeah. it Final Countdown? Okay. Which Fancy. we've reviewed. We have, yeah. You can go back. It's a, it's a fairly early episode of the show, in fact. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he also did Omen 2, Damien, which I've also seen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you, if that's I've seen that one. That's the one with the kid that goes under the ice, right? I don't remember the kills, but I remember he's like he's like, like 12 years old and at boarding school or something like that, is the age of Damien in that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah I watched really all those movies when I was young. Yeah, back when you could relate to being the child of the Antichrist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, I had a, a crush on Sam Neill after Jurassic Park three, so I think I watched them all because he plays older Damien in the third one. That's true. That's such a nerdy crush. It is. <laughs> so, Doctor Alan Grant. Wow. Yeah. My sister wrote him a letter. Oh, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> but he sent her a headshot. <laughs> oh. We well, both had crushes on Alan Grant after the Jurassic Park three. Was, well, I don't know. We're a weird family. Well, his his <laughs> assistant sent sent her a letter. I don't want to break the spirits here. Aww. I didn't get to read the letter, but I did hold it up to the light, and I saw that she drew a dinosaur on it. She, it was really cute. <laughs> she must have been like ten or something, maybe even younger. What well, crush? Sorry, mine. I don't think you listened to this, but that, that, <laughs> the poor girls. Maybe her first crush. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> but it might have been Alan Grant. That's it. That's something. That's something. Yeah. 
All right. Well, I didn't realize we we're going to get that juicy factoid in this <laughs> episode. So, where are we? Yes, spoiler-free stuff. Um, performances are, are, you know, they're fine. Like, it's this is one of these weird things where it's just a really kind of fun movie, but it's not. Like, I can't really point to anything and say this is ex- the exceptionally well done part of it. It's not like the performances are, you know, earth shattering should be praised no, with Oscars and whatnot. But I do think that the that Roddy McDowell and Kim Hunter both bring a lot to the characters to where we do sympathize and, and really like love them. You know, this the movie is about following just the two of them, really. There I mean, there is a third one, but we'll talk about that later. And I know they they do just such a good job of becoming characters that we are rooting for and even like do their fish out of water stuff they're kind of cute and they're so likable and then they have these moments like early on where they're sort of getting in the favor of the public of people of you know of earth when they get there and it's really hard not to like them you know they're they're really funny and charismatic and i think the performances are pretty good you know yeah, no, I mean... Especially since they they still have that heavy layer of mask and makeup. Yeah, I mean, obviously this is the most they get to do out mm-hmm. of the film so far, because they were a little bit less or so in the second one. They had more to do in the first to compare to the second, but this is definitely more mm-hmm. than the first, in the sense that they, are, they get to be the main characters. Now, it does cut away from them, of course, at times, and we do follow these other characters, but they are the characters that we're following, but these are the ones that we care about, and it's a very different... It's, it's an interesting thing to tackle in the sense that they flipped the idea, the premise, but they didn't flip who we follow, because there may have been a temptation to follow the human scientist characters who fight, you know, who interact with them and find them and make it more their story. Mm-hmm. And while they're sympathetic characters, they don't do that. And that's just an interesting choice to make that even though these are apes yep. and it's their story, we're still rooting for them in the same way that we might have been rooting for Taylor in the first movie. We we were on their side because we've because at this point we are accustomed to their world. We've seen it twice now. So when they show up and it's like, no, this is our world. We're rooting for them to prove to everyone else uh, that they're trustworthy, that they're they're smart, mm-hmm. intelligent, and all these other things. Which is funny because I mean Taylor was in the same situation when he first gets to you know the ape world and he is not treated respectfully at all. He's treated um, like like dirt. <laughs> Yeah, no, I don't know, but I mean, and and on the flip side here, with I I mean things may or may not take a turn. But <laughs> I mean, I think, <laughs> but I think when they when this... they arrive, they're treated like celebrities, and then and the scientists are respectful for to the to the apes. You know, it's it's very different. Like the apes were were horrible, like the way they treated the humans, and then the humans, the way they treat the apes, are really nice. I mean, so they, they take precautions, but yeah, there's definitely a difference. And I mean, I think they can probably guess that it takes a bit of a turn. We have said there's a really dark ending like 10 times at this point. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I, I think it's an interesting sort of examination of how, how to approach uh, both movies. And it's funny though, because mm-hmm. uh, we talked about the, the, the direction being kind of just ho-hum. And, uh, you know, now, now that I know it's the same guy's fellow countdown, I kind of felt the same way about that. Yeah. in a lot of ways you know it's, it's not bad looking necessarily but it, that movie benefited of course from a lot of like random real footage of planes taking off and landing so it gave it this production mm-hmm. value because this movie feels the cheapest and not necessarily in a bad way and because it's set in a city well, set there's in... only three ape masks which is 
definitely going to make things cheaper. Uh, well, and also, we don't have to deal with like the generic ape mask in the background. No, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, that's not true. The gorilla in the cage next to the Melly in the film oh, yeah. looks terrible. <laughs> that is awful. <laughs> and we get a chimp later who looks slightly better, but still awful. Yes. Yes. So, yeah, that gorilla. That gorilla was definitely the worst looking... I mean, maybe not compared to some of the background ones from the second one that we complained about, but certainly out of one that the camera focuses on, it's definitely the worst <laughs> looking one yet. Yeah. Uh, so, and it's funny because I know the second, or the, the second one, the fourth one does have a lot more apes in it. So clearly it's weird to me that they, they got it cheaper. I imagine a cheaper budget too. Well, you'd think so. I, but I don't know, maybe maybe the next one does cost more because they, cause this one does set up the fourth one. It very intentionally does so. So I wonder if they actually had an idea of where they were going and they actually kind of budgeted between them and gave more money to the next one because this one they knew, oh, it's just set in like, you know, rooms and hotels and conference rooms and stuff. Like It's, it's actually really cheap mm-hmm. locations. We don't have to build anything. It's all typical stuff. So maybe that, you know, let them get away with a lot of stuff. Um, So, yeah, I, I, that's fair. That's fair. Um, yeah, I'm just checking the... um. The writer, Paul Dean. Paul Paul Dan maybe. Paul yeah. Dan, yeah, he did. He wrote the next one, and then it just says story by for the for battle for the Planet of the Apes. Yeah, I think the, the conquest f- he also wrote. I think the fifth one. For, for, I mean, I don't know if I've ever even seen the fifth one, but I always got the impression that it felt three and four always felt like it was because two never felt like it was planned when one was done. Right, it always no. felt this weird add on. <laughs> Three and four. I feel like we just need a sequel fast. Yeah. Three and four feel like they were developed. I don't know. I don't think they were shot back to back or simultaneous or anything like that. But they feel like they were kind of mapped out to three and four together. Uh, Although I think if the franchise ended here, that there's enough there to, like the way it ends, to sort of uh, kind of wraps back around to the first film, mo- movie enough to be like, okay, that's a lot I mean, to think about, and that would be a solid like trilogy. I could be wrong here, and it's just like they just wanted to get him back because they, they 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 thought of what to do afterwards. But I feel like Ricardo Montalban's introduction in this movie feels like the reason why they have that, mm-hmm. that an actor of that caliber in that role it comes in fairly late on is because they knew he, they wanted him to be a prominent character in the next movie. So it was kind of like a hey, we're, we want to interest you in this one, but you're going to be like a more central character next day. I, I feel like that's. I mean, I could be like I said, I could be completely wrong, and they just asked them back and say hey get a bigger role this time and you'd be like oh great give me more money uh, but uh, yeah it, fe- it feels like a setup to me uh, just from watching the movie maybe i did read in the trivia that uh a sequel wasn't announced until they made enough money from the from this movie and then they told the writer more apes please like, <laughs> well, that's fair i mean make another one that doesn't know of course mean that the writer didn't yeah he might have know, still had things yeah. set up and you know, it does end in a way where you can be like, I'd like to see more of this. And you can you can see like, okay, well, he probably has a plan. Just in case. Yeah. Uh, who knows? Maybe Montalban had one of those, uh, like an early example of one of those like option deals where if we're making another one, we've got you locked in for it. Mm. But we don't know yet. Because that happens all the time now. now. Now people sign like five movie contracts where as long as they start making the second one within like two years of the first one coming out or whatever it may be, it varies from mm-hmm. contract to contract, then they're like obligated to go back for it. Because uh, they, they love getting them young. They love getting your Tom Holland saying, right, you're saying a 10 movie deal. <laughs> right, you're, in, you're locked in now for the next 10 years of your life. So, yeah. Uh, yeah it's a fun time. It's a fun mm-hmm. time. Uh, but not as poignant 
uh at least for the most part is, is the other films and I, I think part of that is because we've already explored so much of what at least the original franchise is going to explore that uh i think the truly new stuff comes next time in terms of the things that pokes at and you know questions i mean it sets it up in this movie a little bit but it's not as at the forefront i don't think yeah i mean this one um has a lot of like uh like this is definitely a PETA approved movie right like there's a lot of animal yeah. rights going on here and you know the the ethics of experimenting on animals which uh I think was something that was brought to light in the seventies. Also, experimentations on chimpanzees. Uh, all of a which sudden, they sort of bring up with the whole ethics of the humans. Oh yeah, all of a sudden, when it's the humans who have been experimented yeah. on, all of a sudden we have a problem with it now. Right, right. But if the chimpanzees could talk, then yeah, it, things are different. So anyway, like that's that that's definitely more here, but it's also in the first movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. But this is like humanity has to, you know, face that truth. Well, I think we'll, I mean, obviously, I think we clearly clearly want to work through the the nitty gritty of it. So, uh, uh, we'll give the spoiler warning. But before we do so, uh, let me thank our Patreon producers for the month of August. And my little note went over that screen for some reason. Okay, so thank you to Alison M. Fordyce, Tyler Hess, Sandy Palacios, David Short, Bordenow, Zammer Jammer, Al Tribesman, Christopher Moy and Brett Williams, they are our Patreon producers for the month of August. That means they are $20 or above patrons. But you don't have to be a $20 patron, do they, Tara? Why no? If you enjoy the show and want to contribute and see more stuff from us, please check out our Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash TV, and you will get bonus stuff, including bonus episodes of The Ace. So if you're wondering where your favorite B-movies are <laughs> that need to be reviewed, like you're the hunter from the future, uh, Time Cop, Judge Dredd, Trancer Saga. Please check out our <laughs> Patreon page because we have a bunch of them up there. And you'll get bonus episodes of other shows like the, the Screams After Midnight, the horror movie podcast. And uh, if you donate $5 per month, you will get access to the Ace one day early and you'll get access to other shows a week early. So thank you. Please check that out. Also, voting rates at five dollars. Also, you can vote. <laughs> yes, there you go. Boom. And if you haven't done that yet, then you don't know what animated movie you're getting next month. <laughs> uh, I mean, by the time this goes out next week, it'll already be September, so mm-hmm. it'll be too late. This month. <laughs> oh sure, yes, yes. So there you go so you all know presumably if you go check the patreon i'll have posted the results already for this vote mm. that's up right now and the new one will be coming soon so look forward to that uh yeah uh, also you mentioned the transfer saga there and it's, it's good you know i'm going to address that briefly because we're we're, we're, we're looking to introduce a, a couple of little things to the show one of them is giving out uh awards that are inspired by other movies and the first official award that we gave out when we we're doing the bonus episode <laughs> Uh, this past week was uh, an award based on uh, Jack Death from Trancers for the slick back sort of wet looking hair mm-hmm. that you got a lot of in the 80s uh, not, not in this film this is the 70s everything's you know big and mm. throth, frothy I had some issues with the villain's hair in this movie <gasps> is this how we're starting to spoiler section <laughs> starting to spoilers with the villain's hair <laughs> yeah that side part was not working for him mm. All right, all right. 
Uh, it was like a child's haircut on a grown man. I hated it. He reminded me of the main henchman in Lethal Weapon 2. If we can picture the main henchman in Lethal Weapon 2. Because the bad yeah. guy, of course, was the sort of the, the fat diplomat. You know, diplomatic community! Yes, you know, yes. that guy. Yeah, okay. Yes. His main henchman was a sort of blonde with a side part, and uh, he always wore like a suit. Um, mm. But hey. It's been a while. There you go. That's what they should have said in this movie. See when, see when they were starting to like confront them, it was like that. We have diplomatic community! <laughs> it would have worked. <laughs> Is that Shane Black who did Lethal Weapon 2? He wrote Lethal Weapon. Uh, I think all of them, maybe. Yeah. But uh, not directed. Richard Donner directed them. Mm. Superman. Yeah, Superman. Goonies. Uh, the Omen, of all things. We mentioned The Omen 2 earlier, but... Ah, comes back around. I know. Oh, look at that. All right, let's do this. That's just that's just, that's just solid good podcasting as well. That is. You're all so lucky. You're all so lucky to be here. All right. So, <laughs> yes. All uh, four of you who are interested in this movie. <laughs> there are dozens of them. <laughs> dozens. Okay. <laughs> so, if if you so the movie starts obviously with the the ship uh, in the water and the army showing up and open and being like. Because they actually they get out and they're in the spacesuits already, so you don't see that they're, they're ape shit. And then they take off the helmets and like because the, the the generals like saluting and he's like, what? <laughs> gentlemen, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the I I had an issue when they first came out with the space suits on. Cause I'm like, where do they get those space suits? Like they didn't have time to make them and nobody wore them in the first That's two true. movies. They're but in the ship, it maybe? pays off because it's a really great reveal. Yes, yes. I mean, maybe they're on the ship. Well, also, the ship in this movie is just like the front part of the ship. And then the rest uh. of the ship that we see in the first movie, like that whole area where they had the, the like the, the beds and stuff. Are you questioning how they propelled themselves or from the there ground? There is no continuity here, yes. <laughs> There's no ship continuity. I hate it. <laughs> I would even say this is ship continuity. This is just straight up. Physics is, is a problem here. Um, yes, maybe the maybe Sal, the other or Milo, played by Sal, the other uh, ape, is just so brilliant that he doesn't need any kind of propulsion. Mm-hmm. Did they just ride the wave when the planet? I mean, we know they didn't because they talk about it later how they saw it from space. But for the sake of trying to headcanon this, did they ride the wave of the explosion when the mega bomb went mm. off? And then it, That's uh, how they time travel. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, uh, nobody, yeah, nobody not speaking yet. Because I, I was thinking that because it's been since I've seen this, so I, I didn't remember how it's you know how it progressed. Mm-hmm. And they've, they've got them in a cage. They're not happy because at one point one of them says, "Ah, they can go to the you know this this area with the vet or whatever." And there's a gorilla in the next cell that they'll, 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 they'll feel right at home. And like he was like, "I don't want next day gorilla." And I had a lot of fun with this portion of the movie where mm-hmm. it's uh oh, well, the scientist names I keep forgetting them. Um, uh, Dixon's the guy, and then uh, Branton is the is the lady, and they're in and they're, you know they're, they're doing these t- basically like simple intelligence tests where they've got blocks that go into sh- you know any holes and uh, simple puzzle shapes and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and they want to like dangle a banana and, and all these things. And the banana uh, test lower the banana. <laughs> That's like my favorite line of the movie. <laughs> actually, I, I'm actually skipping a bit. That I really like because there's a there's, there's a moment before they come in where the soldiers are in shocked and awe because 
they give them some oranges. In fact, one of my favorite little moments, uh, I mean, as much <laughs> as I said the acting is not like super noteworthy from like a prestige point of view, one of my favorite moments of acting in the whole movie is when the three of the apes are still there and they're in this first cell before they go to the actual sort of, you know, animal place, is one of the soldiers gets like, hey, some oranges, right? You get some oranges. <laughs> and does, he gives them one and then Cornelius takes it and then he takes another one and then it cuts to the reverse shot of Cornelius and he puts his hand through the bars and the way, just the way he's looking at the soldier, like, give me another effing orange right now. I know, <laughs> just, like, he, he just, laugh. like, stares him down, like, yeah, another. <laughs> yeah, there's three of us. Uh, but then, of course, they get, they, they whip out some plates. Why this cell has plates and knives and forks all in it when... It's adorable. Presumably, it's supposed to be a cell for people. Why would you have knives in a jail cell when you have a dangerous person in there who might want to try and escape? I don't know. This doesn't add up. Because why would they put them in there for the apes? They're not expecting them to use them. They're shocked right. when they start using the, the knife and fork. They might... I mean, they're apes. They might still use them as tools to murder each other. Who knows? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So there's some things that don't add up. That said, though, the, the look of on the face is, is great. Yeah. Um, and all, but all, just the look in Cornelius' face is he's like, give me the other orange. Give me them right now. Yeah. Come on. Give me the orange. Uh, but uh, I, I love Zira basically just like ace in the test and just mm-hmm. sort of looking like is that all you got you lower do... the banana <laughs> and she builds a little stairway out the blocks and she just sits there and doesn't take it and eventually she just get... and what i like about this is her getting frustrated and just speaking at this point mm-hmm. in the movie is that it really fits in with a character from the previous two where it doesn't feel forced to make her just sort of give up and do it it feels like no no this, this fits the character where she got really frustrated and would speak her mind because there was, there was a lot of stuff in the first movie with uh, Cornelius being like, oh, you know, women, stop getting out of trouble. Treat your mouth. Like, yeah, bring, they were like really sexist. It wasn't yeah. Roddy McDowell who played him in that. <laughs> so it's kind of funny that he came back for this movie. Yeah. Oh, wait, that like, was the second one where all the sexist, uh, you know, stop talking yeah, wife yeah, yeah. stuff was. Um, so like, why won't she take the banana? Because she can get to it now, but she's not taking it. And she's like, because I loathe banana. <laughs> <laughs> Get your stinking paws off me, you damn dirty apes. <laughs> That's their moment. That's their moment, yeah. <laughs> and then they're talking to the scientists, and it's like, there's this big, like, assembly, and, like, this this council all, all formed to, like, do an inquiry. And well, not... something else happens to the other ape, a redshirt ape. Oh, you're right, you're right, you're right, the redshirt ape. Uh, so, mm. Yes, the gorilla from the other cage uh, grabs him and kills him. So... Which actually, yeah. to be honest, it's kind of weird how the scene after this, when the two scientists go into the, 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 the cage to talk to them and ask questions, like ask their names and, you know, sort of start to bond. It's kind of weird where Zero and Chris are both like, yeah, we like you. You both seem fine. And I'm like... Your friend your is fr- fine. Yeah, your friend literally <laughs> just got murdered because of where they put you. I mean, I mean, I just, it's a bit of a leap to already be okay with this. So let me, I guess maybe that's the, a critique of the movie is that it maybe rushes through some of the pacing, the, the beats... Because sure. it wants to get to the next bit. Yeah, definitely. So I think that's a fair complaint. Fair um, complaint. I have something. I looked up the actor because I came across some information on him that I thought was really interesting. So his name is Sal Mineo, who played Milo, the other ape. Okay. And he uh, apparently he like really did not do well with the makeup. So like and like. Kim Hunter and and Roddy McDowell like really had to help him throughout the whole process of it because he I guess he just got way more claustrophobic than he was expecting or something, hmm. and uh, so that's why his character got 
killed off. I think he was meant to be in it a lot more, but they killed his character off because he just couldn't do the acting. He couldn't do the makeup, um, which is interesting. But then when I was looking up the actor, um, he did this movie and one other movie and a few TV shows, like t- TV episodes, mm-hmm. and then decided um, to do a stage show. And while they were doing rehearsal, before like the big opening night, he like was walking home and was just murdered by a stranger. You know, I was about to jump in when you were finished with the story that he died super young, but you were getting there because it was apparently even more interest. Well, interest is maybe a bit of a dark weapon, but I was I was curious because he he dies he died in nineteen seventy six at the age of thirty seven. So yeah, yeah, he was just murdered by some some stranger. Like uh, somebody was prosecuted for it, um, but I don't know. It was just one of those crazy like Hollywood stories. Like, oh damn! Like he never really had a chance to. I don't know to to. I mean, he was in some great films. He's in Rebel Without a Cause, Giant, Exodus, which I don't I'm not, I don't know what that is, but ah, what a what a crazy story. Poor guy, yeah. murdered. Just while walking home from rehearsal for a play before his big opening night. Yeah. Anyway, um, that's the story of Milo. Right, thanks for bringing us all down. Um, we can then oh, move it's going to happen eventually. With the, the, the cheery part of the, the movie. Uh, we have this big hearing, and they kind of warn them, like, maybe don't mention this or that, but otherwise just be yourself. You know, start with simple simple answers, because there'll be simple questions. And yeah. no one there is expecting them to actually talk, cause, because when, when Dixon stands up and says, hey, look, they, they, they can speak. They, they can respond to your questions. Mm-hmm. They, they basically like think it's a trick at first you know because they say oh what's the female's name and they, they keep referring to him as the female and the male they, they never mm-hmm. really sort of treat them with any sort of kinder you know uh, words and so zira stands up and says you know zira my name is zira and it's like oh it's a trick oh what is this blah blah and it says can you say your name again uh zira and then they give her another word to say and she repeats the word it's like oh she's like a parrot you know it's, it's all it is and then it's really oh man they're they're really just not buying this and you're, you're kind of waiting for her to like say something else and they ask uh cornelius to stand up and say something well uh, they, they ask if he can talk and he goes only when she lets me <laughs> and then i get the big reaction i guess a big laugh uh, the, the crowd are all into it uh they ask some more questions zero almost slips up and admits that she was dissecting humans and says oh no i, I studied humans <laughs> instead um I, my favorite part of this whole scene, though, and maybe it's because I'm an atheist, but my favorite part of all this <laughs> I know exactly scene, what part because it made me laugh. <laughs> is Cornelius mentions that Zero is his wife. And when he says this, he says, uh, you know, my brain. Wedded. Or, yeah, or wedded. Yeah, was it? Uh, you know, we were wedded. And on the panel, there's a there's a priest. And the priest is like, what? <laughs> wedded? <laughs> Under God? <laughs> and, and then Cornelius goes a few steps further and says well you yeah. know in our, in our sacred scrolls you know it says you know God made ape in his own image and the priest is like what what <laughs> he's just he's just over there just <laughs> losing his shit is fantastic <laughs> fantastic uh, yeah so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm down for that uh, but they basically get a, a lot of cheers and stuff there they ask to be unshackled and uh, it's, it's kind of the public opinion thing where the crowd all start clapping and cheering for them so mm-hmm. they've kind of won they've won the favour of the of the public 
Uh, but of course, this is what we're also introduced to, uh, you know, uh, Haslin, the, the, the evil scientist, who is very suspicious and he wants to prove, like, what's going on. But honestly, my biggest, like, weird what-the-hell kind of moment for this whole movie is during this uh, hearing, they're asked about where they come from and they do admit that they're from the future. And they say that this is Earth that was destroyed by man, apes rose up, blah, blah, blah. And... You know, I think Kesslin says something that seemed to along these lines as well, but it's afterwards where he's on he's on like a TV show. He's he's been interviewed like in the next couple of scenes. And the, the interviewers explain, oh, so they said this, they said that, and you believe they're from the future. And Haslin's dialogue is well, absolutely. It's the only thing that makes sense. Like mm-hmm. What? <laughs> how, how is that the part that makes sense? How is that the part you just believe, Bellinelli? Like, you don't think there's just maybe like a, 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 a secluded place on Earth where some apes learn to be smart? Is that, that, is that not so more plausible than they came from the future after or a nuclear holocaust? Or from like holocaust? another planet, just like uh, Taylor thought he was oh, on yeah, another yeah. planet. <laughs> yeah. But no, like he's just, for some reason, he is immediately convinced to the point where when they actually say it, he has this, yeah. I'm sure it cuts to him and he's kind of like, oh, of course. What do you mean, mm-hmm. of course? How, how did your mind jump to time travel? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. The the part that... The part for me where I get all like, what? Like, that that happens much later in the movie. Well, not that sure. much later, I guess. When Cornelius is talking about um, the history of apes, mm. according to, like, the we're, scrolls and stuff. And it's all very different. We're going to talk about that. <laughs> don't yeah. you worry. That stuck out to me. Um, but so he he's he's sort of venturing and kind of the, the plot here outside of the fun stuff is basically that he is trying to catch out like them in a lie because they claim they never met Taylor or anything like that because they think that would look look bad and the scientists kind of agree that that might have had a bit of a negative reaction that oh some of them died and you even like you know operated and experimented on <laughs> like that that won't go down <laughs> too well yeah so. We have him, and then that happens later because he uses he gets a drunk with champagne or uh, was it grape juice plus? Grape juice plus, yes. Which is forever what I will call wine. Which is, I mean, this this movie is actually quite anti-drinking because every time she has it, she basically gets them into more trouble. Yeah, and she gets immediately drunk. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I mean, that's good fun. So he records her admitting to a bunch of stuff that's uh, puts puts him in a bad light. But uh, mm-hmm. all the stuff before that though is uh, she's pregnant for a start. Right, that's a big uh, reveal. She faints uh, in the museum. She's seen some dinosaurs and then sees a big, big gorilla and faints. Um, but other than that, we get a montage of them both trying on clothes. They've been at a party in their their, yeah. their hotel room, and the, I mean, this is all really fun, and we get to see Zira try on like people clothes, and she, she's, you know, modeling them like she looks good, but she, I mean, she still looks, she looks silly. <laughs> anyway, but like. It, it's really fun it's all like they're like giving in to their celebrity and um but the i do really like the scene where she is in the like uh, natural history museum and she sees the the ape-like stuffed creature and then faints because it's a little bit of a of a parallel to when mm-hmm. taylor sees his astronaut friend <laughs> in in their like menagerie that they have set up for humans and uh in and also, like, she's been in this world where she's accepted and people love her and they've been, like, she's been on vacation, seemingly. And then all of a sudden she has that realization, like, oh, yeah, they still do monstrous things to animals here on this world. I wonder if it would have been a wise idea to, like, maybe put in a little, 
not a subplot per se, but like actually tackle the idea of maybe her feeling guilty of how they treated the humans. Yeah. I mean, obviously I, she was I very. Much... I don't feel it like in this at all. No, I mean, obviously she did. Like she, she went to bat once she realized Taylor was was intelligent. She was kind of on his side. She did a lot to help him, but I, I, I do think it'd be interesting for her to maybe reconsider everything she's ever done. Where I don't really feel that you know she, she hasn't to tell them what she's done to humans in the past because she thinks right, it's dangerous. Right, but it doesn't seem her. like there's any regret. At no, all that, in, that her, in the way she says it, it, it's all very much like I'm a scientist. That's what I'm. That's what scientists do. Yeah, and then and then you know uh, Dixon's like, yeah, well we do that to animals, and you know no one really right. makes a fuss i mean people do obviously but i mean which i mean yeah that's uh, like it's still like kind of a good message like when you have somebody who's just so so very much like the scientists are here like well no they're not they're they're primitive so we can do what we want to them we have like autonomy over them when really they should have we should be stewards of nature and let them have their own autonomy <laughs> that's what it means you know so it's it it is kind of interesting that she doesn't really have any remorse for it when we're looking at it from that point of view. But I I sort of also wish that there was something there when I was watching it, just because yeah. I like Zira and it, I want her to have that realization. It would have added, I think, more. I think it would have went from being just kind of a fun. I mean, okay, yes, it goes dark at the end in the last sort of third of it, but it would have turned it from a slightly fun hijinksy kind of exploration sequel into something with a bit more nuance a bit more like if, if they were actually sort of saying hey we've done some awful things and we feel guilty about it it would mm -hmm. add a lot of weight to when they're being hunted later on that they, they they are regretful and they are mournful and they want to be better and they want to have a chance of so i i think it would have added a lot more uh, subtext to the film where and you know it has some because it's a part of the apes movie but it it's definitely it feels like it's almost like just sort of coasting on the subtext that's been there since the first one rather than actually adding a whole mm -hmm. lot of its own uh so that, i think that's maybe where it's a misstep and where it doesn't it never really becomes a great movie because of that it's a fun sequel it's just it's, you know, it's nice to watch and it's whatever but um so at this point of the movie we have all this fun stuff and there's some jokes um there's one weird one actually that i i, I feel like there's a couple of points where Zira, uh, at one point she like reacts to a TV, like the newscaster says goodbye and she says goodbye to it and they, they all kind of chuckle and that's kind of funny. Uh, there's one that I thought was actually kind of like weird where this reporter uh, starts asking about pets or something. He's like, well, do you think I'm a pet? He's like, well, yes, essentially. And there's like an awkward moment and Zira just starts laughing and they all start laughing together like, oh, we all get the joke. <laughs> I'm like, no, she called you a pet. <laughs> she yeah. said... She just said she thinks you're equal to a, 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 a you know someone's dog. That's not the same right. thing. <laughs> yeah, she still does look down on humans. Yeah, I mean, but they're also from the future, and they've seen like what humans become. So it would take a, a bit more to for her to see them as something more. Well, no, it's, it's the journalist who says it to her. Well, yeah, sure, but that's serious responses. Yeah, I see you as. Oh, you're right. You're right. It is. Yeah. I, I am mixing it up. Yeah, you're flipping it. Because uh, it's, hard, it's, the, it's yeah, the human yeah. that says, yeah, I do see you as a pet. And then there's a pause <laughs> and then they laugh. Which is also odd because we don't really have chimpanzees as pets. No, no. Uh, we'll talk about the possibility of that <laughs> in a minute. Uh, so yeah, you know, Hesling, you know, gets her drunk and has her talking about uh, Taylor, the earth exploding, all the rest of it. And, he and this is the thing, he makes a speech here, right? And on the one hand, 
on the surface level, you could say, okay, he's a bit more sympathetic, even though he's kind of villainous about it, because he essentially com- compares it, he doesn't call it climate change, obviously, he talks about pollution, and he talks about, uh, you know, overpopulation and things like that. He says, yeah, well, we'll wait, you know, we'll wait until, you know, we'll, Tomorrow, deal, yeah. we'll deal with it later, we'll deal with this later, we'll deal with that later. We have to do something now. This is something we, we, we know for a fact that in X number mm-hmm. of years, human race is going to be wiped out, essentially, and replaced with, with intelligent apes. We can do something about this, let's try and change the course of history. He talks about lanes and like go for a new lane, blah, blah. And he's it, talking to the president about it, and the president brings up like, yeah, like we would be, we we supported the like assassination or hunt down of Hitler, but would we have done it if he was a baby or just his ancestors? Like this is the kind of the equivalent thing. Like sure, maybe it would be better for humanity overall, but how, how can you kill somebody who's innocent that- now? And that's a time travel question, which I don't think the movie really gets into outside of the president saying that that one time. But I think what's interesting about this, though, is all the stuff he's saying about pollution and overpopulation, and he's saying, hey, we have to do something about some of these issues. We can't just wait for them all mm-hmm. to be fixed later. It makes you a little sympathy. And I think especially in a modern light, where we, we talk even more about a lot of these things now. And it's like, okay, all right, so he's kind of like someone who's saying this is something we can avoid, we should do something to stop it, even though it's, uh, it feels a bit cruel in the, the here and now. But mm-hmm. there's actually, a, if there's any, I don't even think this is intentional subtext necessarily, but there is kind of a dark, darker element to this where it's funny how when the problem can be solved with violence and uh, with killing someone, that all of a sudden it's something that someone high up feels they can solve, right? Because you can't you can't solve climate change with going and shooting a group of people. You can't solve overpopulation. I mean, I suppose technically, uh, in a cruel way, you could. But, uh, but you know, you can't solve these things with something as simple as... But because this is something as simple as, well, I can justify taking a life because it's under, you know, for a good cause. For some mm-hmm. reason, human beings... So I think that's almost a dark commentary of human nature of like, oh, now it's about villainizing a person or a type of person. We can get on board with this we can make this work because our minds work right. this way. And it's kind of a yeah. dark something. I don't even know if it's intentional, but it's definitely something I was thinking about as he was making this speech. Sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think this is one of my favorite scenes of the movie is when he's talking to the president. And it's just very, like, I think the points that they bring up are points that we would have wanted in other time travel films from this director. <laughs> Sorry, Don Taylor. <laughs> I didn't think about that. You're right. <laughs> Uh, well, <laughs> at least they're doing it here, you know, and I, I really enjoy this scene a lot because it, it is very thought provoking and it is like, there is a little bit of sympathy because he is, his motivation is to save earth and to save the human race. And he has enough from Zira to know that something happens in the future that, that ends humanity forever. Like <laughs> we have a chance to stop this. So why wouldn't we take it? And sure his chances, you know, cruel and violent to innocent beings but like you can't help but go like i understand why he's paranoid and why he's filled with fear about this and we should we should clarify at this point in the movie all he's suggesting is basically forcing an abortion of the child the idea being that zero and communities can live out their lives and die and whatever it's not going to affect anything really but they can't have a kid they, they can't have a have a, a baby chimp who's going to then possibly spread the intelligent chimp gene around yes. that's yes. what that's what he doesn't want um, there is actually, I mean, this president, this fictional president is actually a very morally sound one because even later on when they're on the run uh, and they've done something, you know, at least it looks questionable. 
Uh, I mean, it is questionable, but I mean, it'll be I have questions accident. about that scene anyway. Yeah, but we'll, we'll get to it. But there's a point where he says to he says to Heslin, who is getting to kind of like run the operation of all the army and police looking for them. He says like, "Hey, they've not actually been tried of a crime. We do not shoot down you know people who mm-hmm. we suspect of guilty of something." And I'm like, you know what? <laughs> Even the president today doesn't have that that moral sound compass. So you, like, I'm like, okay, you're getting points, fictional president. Yeah. Yep. No, I agree. <laughs> I'm sorry, did I stumble you with that very serious bit of political talk there for a second? <laughs> I don't want to get political. <laughs> uh, no, not do I, but I just, I couldn't help with that. When he said that and said, no, we don't no, no, do no. this, I was like, he, yeah, all right. He's still like, it, yeah, it's odd that the, it's odd given today's politics that the president of America is the moral high ground in this scene versus <laughs> versus the, the guy who just wants to stop, uh, it is, I don't know. I guess we can call him xenophobic because <laughs> he's afraid of another civilization taking over or the other taking over yeah. and his, his way of life ending. But, um, That's yeah. true. I never, I never thought about it in that context, but you're right to think about it that way. As obviously the difference here is that he literally has evidence that this is going to happen rather than just, mm-hmm. well, they speculating that they have to go take over someday. Yeah, it's true. But also, but uh, that's also the, um, the whole point of the first movie of the Planet of the Apes is that man had their chance and they blew themselves up. You know, we, we caused this ourselves. Oh, say it properly. Man had their chance and we blew it. <laughs> Come on. We blew it up. Bill <laughs> <Bill> maniacs. <laughs> Humanity blew itself, okay? <laughs> yep, we're all Tobias. <laughs> Oh dear! I made an innocent pun, then turned it into an Arrested Development. Not so innocent pun, and I am proud of everything that happened in the last thirty seconds. <laughs> uh, so, right. Um, so yeah, I guess obviously from here, uh, they're taken into custody, and they're more sort of under lockdown, and they're questioned. They're questioned uh, by, and obviously, we have Dixon and Bratton are trying to help them as best they can, but they're taken into questioning. Uh, they question them together, and this is where we get a lot of the the new stuff about the sacred scrolls. And I have to, at the very least, I have to assume, and I still, it, doesn't, it still doesn't add up completely for me, I have to at least assume these sacred scrolls that Cornelius says he has access to, or had access to, were after the first movie. Because if he had read any of this, <laughs> any of it, a single word of it, when he was with uh, Z- you know, Zira and uh, with Taylor in the first movie, and he was pretending like, "Oh, we don't know, you know, about this human past," he's <laughs> yeah. a complete dickhead. <laughs> I mean, right. <laughs> I mean, honestly, even even the idea that uh, what's the uh, Zeus like? Even the Dr. idea that Zeus, yeah. even the idea that Doctor Zeus knew in this detail how like ape civilization came to be doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel like he knew about all this, but. They ask no. Cornelius to explain how apes rose up, and he's, he, he just, he tells them, oh, there was a plague that wiped out all the cats and dogs, so people took chimps in as pets, and uh, they got smarter, and they realized they were slaves, so they rebelled, and I'm like, how did you know, like, none of this, none of this was remotely talked about or hinted at in the previous no, two films. No, like, in this, no, in the, in the first film, it was just, humans were always primitive, and, or apes evolved from man, right? Like, and even at the end of it, when we get the reveal from Dr. Zaius, it's, yeah, okay, man did have 
like intelligence mm-hmm. before, but they used it to destroy themselves. And which is why we can't keep, we can't let them evolve again to that level of intelligence. Otherwise they'll destroy us too. Like that, that was the whole point. It wasn't that there was man and ape didn't have this path together. <laughs> yeah. No, <laughs> like they're I, explaining in this one. And it's, it's very, uh, yeah, it's very strange. It doesn't really add up very, very well. And I don't really understand the point of it so much. Like why well, hell, does Cornelius have to have this history? Yeah, especially since this is literally the fourth movie he's describing here for the most part. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> they didn't need to actually tell us this. It, what gets me, though, is that what we said there, the, the main point that I think contradicts it all is that literally, like, they're all, like, none of them suspect that humans were ever intelligent, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe Zeus kind of did, but it's one thing not to hint at anything, right? But it's another where I just don't buy that Zeus knew this. And Zeus is the one who had the sacred scrolls. The sacred scrolls. Yeah, Zeus was more of like a religious thing. It was just like, these scrolls have been passed down from orangutan to orangutan. And they have been, you know, the the keepers of the secret of the humans and whatever. But it's more of just a warning. Like, it's not even all all of this. It's, It's not that, you know, humans used to have cats and dogs and raised animals as pets and domesticated them and then um yeah there was an uprising but it was more just like humans are dangerous avoid at all costs and make sure they don't become dangerous again keep them in check yeah it completely changes the the context of all it completely changes the tone of it all and i just don't mm-hmm. buy that any of the characters any of the ape characters specifically knew about any of this in the, the last two movies so that this feels like a giant retcon that's just been put in to set up the next movie and i really don't think it's necessary at all it's not because the, the next movie will function at the exact same with or without this speech because well also like the whole point of man you know blowing themselves up is that you know, regardless if they did it because they raised animals as pets or because of nuclear war, like it, it doesn't really make a difference. Like it's still man's fault either way. Way why does it have to be so specific about cats and dogs and apes? I don't know. Yeah, yeah I mean, they they could have. Obviously, we could have learned about all this in the next one. It's so funny because we were talking about the new ones when we get to them. Is that obviously there's no nukes in that that version, and it's very different. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not a parable for you know. The Cold War and us ruining everything. Uh, although as a virus, funnily enough, <laughs> which you know, in twenty twenty feels very. Uh, I know. I saw a joke <laughs> online earlier. It was a guy walks into a bar and says, "I'll have a Corona and two Hurricanes." And the bartender says, "That'll be twenty twenty, please." <laughs> uh, I do hope everyone near Hurricane, uh, the Hurricane right now in Texas, is safe. Like a, <laughs> I don't want to make light of the t- Hurricane, but that yeah. made me laugh. Okay, it was twenty twenty's, but a gauntlet of a year. We need some good news, damn it. Yep. Will you clack it away? Will you, will you type it? I don't know if I knew there was a hurricane. Oh, yeah. Hurricane Laura. <laughs> <laughs> I've been so checked out of the news. It's an uh, election year. I don't uh, need to pay attention. I've suffered enough from the last one. I'll still vote. Obviously, yes. Yes. Please do vote. Sensibly. Um... Yes. <laughs> it's, it's almost your sister's name which would have been really funny to bring her back at the conversation here <laughs> <laughs> it's almost your sister's name <laughs> almost uh there all right uh, so where are we all right so that's the record but they, they, they take out cornelius they 
they make Dixon uh, inject uh, Zira with a sedative. Uh, well, not a sedative. It's a yeah, it's like a true serum. Yeah, but you know, it's, it, he he describes Sodium it as sodium pentanol or something. Yeah, he describes it as the same effects as uh, grape juice plus. Um. Yes. I don't know why they don't just call it. I mean, it's it's funny that she just keeps calling it grape juice plus. Like that is amusing. But at the same time, like, why is no why did why did they think wine's not a word they can tell her? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. She's learning other words. Why don't wine? Maybe anyway. she doesn't want to know because she's pregnant, and that could lead to complications. Although yeah. I mean, she's like about to give birth, so probably not. I think you're allowed to drink a little bit of wine when you're late stage pregnancy, but. That's, you know, I never even thought of it. That's a good point. She drinks wine like three times in the movie and she's pregnant the whole time. Yeah, I, but I think that's a... Well, it's the 70s, so things were looser. <laughs> but also, I think that I think that's okay late stage. Like, I don't think it's okay to get drunk, but like, I think a little bit of wine is all right. Mm. I don't know. I had a friend who went through two pregnancies and I was very much there for her for every stage. And she, she told me one time she did have permission, but she wasn't going to test it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Permission from her doctor. Okay, of course, not just Jim from yeah. the corner. Like, yeah. No. <laughs> he was standing next to the bus stop and I had a chat. He said, well, it's okay if you have a bit of wine in the last trimester. <laughs> right. It's fine. He's like, uh, trust Jim, yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, so, from here, they, they get more, they record her basically admitting all the bad stuff, all the stuff that sounds bad. And mm-hmm. the, the, the Congress, and I, do you know why I appreciated that I'd forgotten about this movie? is that the characters in the scene do actually argue a lot of things about... like there's a, Even though they ultimately decide that they can't have the kid out of precautions, they do actually... There are, some of them do say things that are kind of more positive, like, well, they did this... I mean, they, they did a list of humans, because there's, there's kind of this worry when, when she's being questioned and they've got the light in her face and all that, that as soon as she says that she was, you know, dissecting humans and, like, lobotomies and all that, that immediately it's like, oh, wait, she's been doing this. And when they bring it up in the hearing, like... Several of these people on this board are like, well, yeah, but it's not really that different to what we do to, to apes now. Mm-hmm. So we can't really, you know, crucify them for that. It, you know, it's, it's like they're here, they're, they've been respectful, they're, they're, you know, all these things. So there's actually some solid arguments and they're not just like, you know, they're not just all villains. Well, that proves it. All right, stamp it, right? Firing squad. They're like, okay, but we're going to approve that the child shouldn't be born because at this point, it seems like this is a future we could maybe avoid. So let's, let's mm-hmm. do it. Um, yeah, and it's not fair to obviously Kareos and Zira, uh, but uh, they've made this choice. Uh, but it just so happens there's a nice cut here actually. There's a nice little edit because when he when he hits the ah, uh, oh, what do you call the thing mm. that the judge hits? Gavel. The gavel. Thank you. When the gavel hits, it cuts to Kareos's fist punching a table. Not because of this news. Yeah. He doesn't know about this shit. Just about uh, his wife being injected uh, with something. Right, and he was forced to leave the room. He couldn't be there. Yeah. And there's a running thing throughout the movie where he really doesn't like being called a monkey. Like, whenever, whenever anyone says monkey, he gets really upset. Uh, Racist. And he, he asks them repeatedly not to to do it. So when this woman comes in, or this this guy comes in, sorry, to give them their, their dinner or lunch or whatever it is, uh, he says something like, oh, you got to keep well fed for that, that little monkey in there. And Curious flips his shit, you know, throws the food out of his hand and throws him against the wall. Not mean to cause him any great pain, but he's just trying to escape. He wants to get out of there with, with her and they go kind of on the run, not knowing what they've done and thinking that the kid's okay. But we, we see, of course, 
after the fact that the guy's bleeding from the back of the head and this this probably killed him yeah there's glass everywhere it seems like pretty extreme like because when you watch the scene it, it it looks like he just flipped the tray of food and pushed them into the wall and maybe like knocked him out but like yeah. yeah he's got a major head wound and they do say later that he he actually died yeah it doesn't necessarily compute for me and it's just a safety thing i guess why they can't obviously hit his head that hard but i feel like i've hit my head harder than this <laughs> and not died <laughs> It, it seems like, Obviously. yeah, it's a major wound. I mean, he is a chimpanzee. They are stronger than humans. True, That's true. Maybe there was just a lot more excessive force than he realized or that we can tell from the the way the movie's shot or the scene is shot. But it it is kind of a, okay, like, I guess we have to buy it for the sake of the film. But <laughs> they really didn't do a good job convincing, yeah. convincing they, me they basically that just... that's what I saw was what happened. They basically decide to go back because they realize this is stupid. They're probably going to punish us, but we'll accept that so we can continue living with our child. But Cornelius overhears like the guard talking to Dixon or actually I think it's just Branton on her own. Yeah. As she's trying to go into the into the the base to like find out what's happening, and it becomes this movie where the the, the two of them like meet up with them and sort of help them like hide and go on the run. And this is where we get uh, Ricardo Montalban's character where he he runs a circus. And uh, it's like, oh, they'll blend in here. They can be in, you know, one of the cages because there's mm-hmm. a lot of chimps here. Uh, and they even give birth here. Uh, I mean, I don't know if this is just some dramatic license because they want to do it for the story, but do, do chimps not show when they're pregnant, like, heavily? Because if, she, if she's giving birth now, then she must be... I don't, I don't know. She's always wearing, like, some type of dress. Yeah, I, I guess. Uh, she never struck me as looking pregnant. I always assumed that. No, in the film. but she was pregnant in the second movie. They do talk about having, like, she's having a kid. Oh, I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, to be fair, they, they evacuated. Like, I mean, how, how much time does the second movie span? Like a few days. Yeah. And then they evacuate and they land on Earth here, and yeah. You know. I guess this whole this whole franchise so far has only been the course of like a week. <laughs> <laughs> so but you know they're on the run and we keep cutting back to uh uh helson as he's he's like saying sending men after borders looking for play plays and it's, it's the other guy in the background just goes well we're do apes go well maybe to other apes and it gives us oh check zoos circuses mm-hmm. check everything that you know could be could be concealing a chimpanzee and they have to leave because the whole plan was is that ricardo uh Montalban, you know can would take them to florida because the circus goes there armando uh, <laughs> can uh if i remember what his name was in the naked gun i'd use that as well occasionally mm, yeah uh, that's a good movie i always just remember uh the love interest priscilla presley like handing down like a beaver at one point in that scene uh i just had it stuffed <laughs> solid comedy oh those first two are great uh the third one i don't think holds vincent up. ludwig ludwig yes i remember the name ludwig they say it a lot yeah he had the fish yes yes <laughs> that les nielsen kills <laughs> by accident spoiler <laughs> okay yeah anyway so we're at the circus there's another there's another chimpanzee there who's also a mother that which is important uh because mm-hmm. gazira of course like practices being a mom's like hey mama mama and curious is like 
this is not this is this is a primitive ape. But <laughs> the, mm-hmm. the, the chimp's not going to say anything. It's like, I don't. I'm just practicing. Oh, Taylor did the same thing to Nova. True. That's very yeah. true. Yeah, nice parallel. Uh, so they have to go on the run, and Dixon basically says, "Hey, I used to play in this like ship graveyard. <laughs> you can go hide in an abandoned ship. Uh, you have to go from here." And yeah, you know, I had where... that when I was a kid. I would have oh, played sure. there too. It's awesome. It gets super dark though, because he's like, "Hey, like if they take us in, they're probably going to kill us because we accidentally killed that that guy. So, can you give us a way of killing ourselves if 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 it should come to that?" And even that, it's like super like. Are you? Even just a character asking that in a movie? Yeah. For me, that's a PG at least now. It has to but be a PG. But then the doctor was just like, I thought maybe you would ask. So I brought this just in case. And <laughs> he gives him a gun. gun. You're like, why would you think he would ask that? I, I just, I was like, this is at least a PG. That question alone, right? Don't get me wrong. I think there's something at the end that makes it R-rated. But at least at this point, <laughs> this is a PG at least. Yeah, this is not on the on par with like, <laughs> I don't know. Cinderella. Teletubbies, Teletubbies, <laughs> and what else is a G-rated thing? Yeah, I don't know, man. <laughs> so, yeah, so they go find the ship graveyard. Um, Zira drops like one of her bags though, and it gets discovered. So this like gives uh, uh Helsin a, a, a sort of a, a tracking point to look because they're, they're getting very frustrated mm-hmm. that they can't find them at this point. Um, I do. I do think Zira is smarter than some of the decisions she makes in this that's film. That's like, I mean, she's she was so bright in the first film and, uh, she, like, smarter than Cornelius and uh, Which they, they, everybody they do, else, but, like... They do play with that. Like, they, they, they play with her being a bit pompous with, like, the tests and stuff early on, but you're right. Mm-hmm. There's multiple times where she almost says she dissects humans when she clearly knows she shouldn't say that. It feels like she has to make that mistake so the characters, the humans later, can, like, try and, like, get her to expand on it. Uh, dropping yeah. the bag... It doesn't um, seem very true to her character, but yeah, it's still a fun movie, and yeah, the the plot needs to advance. There's some, there's some contrivances. <laughs> she was the one doing the dissecting, but that's all right. Yeah, there's some contrivances. I mean, that's really what it yeah. boils down to, just to get it where, where it wants to go, and that's where you know, a, a script could be tighter. The script could make it all work a little bit better, but mm-hmm. uh, the fact that they wrote they wrote out a character well so we're shooting because the actor couldn't deal with the makeup uh, maybe says that it wasn't maybe the most smoothest sailing of. Because maybe that's maybe that's why these mistakes are in here. Maybe the original reason that they, they found all this information had more to do with the Milo character, but because they oh, wrote maybe, him out, yeah. they had to quickly go, oh shit, we'll have her say something by accident. Like, that might have been... Uh, yeah, you, you think, I mean, he's under makeup. You think you can just swap him out with another guy with the same height. <laughs> and just just double the original footage with the new actor, so it's the same voice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, why didn't they think uh, of that? <laughs> I've solved it. Hollywood. I've, I've solved got the it. Answers. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just get a stunt double to do all the performance and then have whatever actor you want do the voice and dubbing. There you go. Mm-hmm. Done. <laughs> so, they're, they're hanging out of the ship and I actually, I mean, as much as I said that the direction is not particularly notable in this, I, I do I do enjoy the sequence, the, the sort of game of cat and mouse where mm-hmm. Heslin does find, sees, sees Cornelius through the binoculars and he comes in, he's got a gun and he's sort of stalking the, the ship and they're just missing each other and kind of thing. Um, and he ends up finding Zira and saying, you know, give me the baby or shoot. I've got authority to take the baby. And meanwhile, the police are kind of starting to like pile up in the, the, the pier. Yeah. And, and uh, we Dixon. see the two scientists show up and we get yeah. that, that like hopeful music again comes in like, mm-hmm. oh, the rescuers are here. Things are going to go right now. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so 
obviously, Zero being shot down is super dark, but that's not the thing that makes this... I mean, I would argue it maybe stretches it a little bit to PG-13, but maybe it's not super violent. It's, it's dark because she's holding a, holding a baby chimp. Mm-hmm. The thing that makes this ultra dark is what uh, Heslin does com- next. Like, he's just shot Zira. She's dropped the baby chimp, and Heslin just w- he shot d- her. In, yeah, he shot her in the back while she was yeah. running away. So the baby chimp's on the floor. I, I'm gonna you don't see it because it's all bundled up in like you know uh, blankets and whatnot. And he just shoots into the the pile of blankets like, like twice. Five times. Yeah, and I'm like. Why is this not R-rated? That was dark as shit. And the, this yeah. is the thing. In the moment, I goes, okay, that was really dark, but I'm expecting it to turn out that there wasn't a chimp in there. However, the twist that happens, because there is a twist there, where mm-hmm. Zira swapped her chimp with the chimp that was in the cage with its mother, right? So she swapped the chimps, so her child is alive. However, we did see them with a real chimp on this journey. So mm-hmm. the chimp that she swapped, she was still holding that chimp. Yep. <laughs> this is this was a chimp that was seemingly just, just yeah, he just executed. Cruel, cruelly murdered a baby animal. Yeah. He shot him like like four times. Like it was it, it there is like a a level of cruelty there that is like Yeah. It's vicious. It's It's like yeah. Any sympathetic sort of notions you had with them because okay, he really believes that the human race is going to be wiped out. He's trying to save it. You can kind of understand his line of thinking to a point. When he mm-hmm. fires, I mean, okay, and maybe he's so agitated thinking it won't happen that he wants to take his chance and just do it right now. So he, sh- he fires once, but when he, sh- he fires multiple more times, it's just like, okay, dude, you got issues, yeah. right? You yeah. got something going on in there. Yeah, and then, <laughs> and then, we, well, so we see Zira get shot. We see the baby get shot multiple times. Luckily, Cornelius gets a shot off on Doctor Otto. Yeah, we get, and the, the, we get a really great squib because it, it hits yeah. the camera even too. Loved it. Yeah, as he's falling. Yeah, so we get the like a cathartic villain like kill, yeah. but he does fire his gun in the way down, and that hits. Well, the helicopters get. Oh, the helicopters get, Cornelius. get sorry. They get Cornelius. Sorry. Yeah, the, uh, the snipers get Cornelius, and we think, oh, poor Cornelius is falls... gone. At least he'll he'll die on his feet. <laughs> Uh, he falls falls over and lands in the lower deck which is where Zira is Zira hits his head on the way down yeah it's obviously a dummy but it looks quite violent and then Zira crawls over because she's still alive crawls over to the dead baby chimp and again it's in blankets you don't really see the body but Mm -hmm. and then rolls it off the side of the ship into the water which maybe is a a precaution so they can't like identify exactly what chimp it is maybe right but even just the visual of this this dead baby chimp, mm-hmm. even though you can't see the body itself, just falling into the water, the implications of it are so goddamn dark. So it, it cuts back to the scientists and and uh, you know Branton is just like, like oh, the, yeah, the, the, yeah. the shriek of emotion, um, and then Zira crawls over to her dead husband and lies on top of him to to die herself and they let her die as the camera goes to any real shot it's so dark i mean is this the darkest of the three endings like it, it may be, i mean it's definitely dark i mean both of them are darker on the first i mean the, the first one's obviously a, a dark twist but it's not a dark yeah. ending to the story necessarily whereas the second one ends with the destruction of the entire planet and our main character's dying but this mm-hmm. feels even crueler because uh, first of all you've got a baby involved and yeah. then just the the these are the two characters who throughout the three movies we've grown to really like and we've been rooting mm-hmm. for. And 
to watch her crawl so she can just like hold her dead husband as she dies herself after she's g-rated i know <laughs> after she's rolled over her dead well not her dead baby but a dead baby champ what we think is the dead uh, baby yeah uh the reveal of course at the end is that we go to the circus for our final final little scene and uh just in case you didn't get it they have ricardo montalban actually sort of say oh you're smart just like your parents uh mm-hmm. as they're packing and he's up wearing the necklace yes so i do love this moment though the one thing that makes me like snicker a little bit is just that the 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 chimp the baby chimp is saying mama over mm-hmm. and over again but in order for him to say it over and over again <laughs> without computer graphics they just reverse the shot over and over again so you could see the camera like zooming in zooming out zooming in zooming yeah. out as it rewinds it's basically <laughs> it's basically a gif playing on a loop is essentially yeah. what it is yeah uh, a little cheesy but but you know it's it's a good it's good effect good real reveal yes. and it sets up our the truth is is this this death of these two characters of zira and cornelius it makes me want to root for the kid to basically kill all the humans in the next movie it's like yeah f them f them all the point of the planet of the apes reboot <laughs> also uh no that's i think the no because the, the the new trilogy is far more nuanced it's, it's, it's far more uh layered with its the subtext and it's like, so you want this kid to grow up to be koba the new the, the three new movies are basically like various levels of masterpiece. The, oh, we'll talk about them, but that, 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 this is you'll like, get no arguments from me. This is kind of schlocky sequel that has moments of like what what, but it's mostly mm-hmm. a schlocky just unsequel. Mm-hmm. Yes, and Tara's not fighting me, so I think no, nope. I must I must yes. Um, <laughs> so someday someone's going to ask me. Uh, do, do, do you talk about movies on a podcast? And I'll say, when Tara lets me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you do most of the talking. When, when, our, when our fish overlords rule up and the fish replace the people <laughs> and the planet of the salmon. <laughs> <laughs> we probably deserve it. <laughs> we probably do. Uh, although I don't think I've ever eaten salmon myself, funnily enough. But I've eaten plenty of other fish. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean... They're doing it. They're doing it for their uh, their Haddock brothers. Like you eat our Haddock brothers, <laughs> we will kill you humans. Now you must die. <laughs> All right. Uh, so awfully close to a Twilight Zone episode. <laughs> or is this going to be one lone salmon, simply yeah. called the Salmonator? Sorry. Okay. We're... <laughs> now I hate it. <laughs> Do you know what? I only thought of that so quick because there's an actor called Colin Salmon who I refer to as a Salmonator. So I thought I'm, I'm getting my Salmonator laying in here somehow, <laughs> some way. So, thank you. Um, all right. Well, I mean that's that's basically the, the, the movie. I uh, yeah. I mean it's a terrible time. It's kind of one of these things where it's it's not up to the standard of the first one, of course. Neither was the second. Um, I think it bizarrely. It gets away from pretty much all the problems the second one had, but it has all of its own problems instead. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it fixes obviously just doing the same thing for the most part, uh, but it does have all these other things like you say contrivances uh, and but, but the character to move things forward. It feels a bit cheaper. The, the you know some stuff just feels a little off, and the weird retcon that's all explained when it's only a retcon because he knows about it. Like see, see if we saw the next movie that shows this is how it happened. And the apes in the future just didn't know about it. It would all click together perfectly. It is 
It is kind of interesting, the element that they've added by making Cornelius and Zira their own ancestors. And the sure. only reason that we, the only reason that, that apes take over is because humans went to the future in the first place and then brought them back. And now, now we have intelligent apes because it's like, it's a closed loop, you know, of, of time travel. Like the only reason is it's Terminator logic. It's, it's kind of Terminator-esque. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of a, a fun spin on it when you think about it. But at the same time, I think the first movie is just so masterfully done. And it's just such a perfect um, like science fiction allegory movie. Everything you want from a classic sci-fi. I would say what we're actually but, describing here is way more like the TV show Dark. And I'm bringing it up because when we did our top, top 10 time travel movies and we were mentioning TV shows at the end, somehow I forgot to talk about Dark. And I got shit for it in the comments because <laughs> it's the most time travel time travel thing that ever time traveled. So, yeah. German and Netflix original Dark is like a, a thesis, a three-season thesis on time travel and uh, loops and all that kind of thing. So, do check it out. Yeah, that was a very, very important interruption. I'm I think glad it was. you did it. I, I'm glad I did it too, but please continue. Right. So, yeah, it's a, it's a closed loop of time travel. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is an interesting little thing to add on to it, but it does... Each each sequel, because it keeps retconning what happened before, does sort of diminish the first movie and its perfectness in my mind, which is unfortunate. But I still enjoy all of these sequels for their own quirkiness and what they bring. I, bit, I, I, bit I think this quirky. movie probably had the most challenge going into it. Like, how do you make a sequel to a film where you blew up the planet when it's called the Planet of the Apes? But I think they do a fun enough job with some you know maybe it could have used another rewrite or so but they do a, a good enough job of making it fun and interesting and thought-provoking hmm. uh also mentioned just, just in case i wanted the comments to tell is yes we, we realize that the uh the police captain from blade runner has also got a small role in this as too uh, yes uh easy to recognize his voice yes M Emmett walsh, walsh. Yeah. yes is the actor in question yeah, he's got a distinct voice in the way he speaks. Uh, and the um the guy who played like the judge is also Mr. Griswold in Christmas Vacation. Mr. Ah, Grandfather Griswold. Cool. Uh, also, uh, Walsh was also in Critters, which I, I'll be honest, I think I know him from that more than I do Blade Runner. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so yes, make of that which you will. Uh, yeah, yeah, bit schlocky, bit quirky. Uh, it's got its problems, but it's very watchable and. If you're doing a little franchise watch, it's not one that you're going to be mad you spent time on, I don't think. No. Uh, but it's not the tour de force that the new films are. And I'm building these new ones up a lot, but when we get to those three new ones, just be prepared. Because we'll, right. we'll, be, we'll be going to town on those three. We do love them. So, but that has been Escape from the Planet of the Apes. Tara, it is time to rate the film. I, as much as this movie is kind of corny <laughs> and sort of diminishes the this the statements of the first film and um i still really enjoy watching this movie i think it is a lot of fun and i do think it has enough of thought-provoking um themes that they've added into it and uh i do actually really like this film a lot and i don't remember the the, the next two very well but i do remember that i like this one the most for the sequels and uh so I'm going to rate it a, a 7.5. Uh, 
which notably does not count the remake from 2001. No, there's a reboot, not sequels. Well, that's just the Oh, remake. you mean the Burton one? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Rise was 2011, come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yes, the Timberwolf one, which I'm not, I'm not looking forward to that one. I, I hate that we which have to get... Which is the one we will skip. No, we're not skipping. I hate that we have to go through that to get to the good ones. I, I really... It hurts me. Maybe the patrons me. voted for the Planet of the Apes, so we got to deliver. They did. They did. I have a real love-hate relationship with the patrons, you know that? And on the one hand, they make me watch all this crap, but on the other hand, they give me money. So, I mean, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a real... <laughs> It's a real catch-22. Plus, they give you money because they love you. Well, they're only human. I mean... <laughs> I love you, patrons. I do. I've been, I've been facetious. I love you, patrons. Uh, I love all viewers. Everyone who kicks that like button. Smash that like button. Gross. Like a chimpanzee. <laughs> like a chimpanzee who's... Angry that his wife was injected by a sedative. Because I handed him. Okay, you made it work. Thank you. Uh, so, yeah, what am I rating? Uh, I'm probably going to go about a point lower and say 6.5. Uh, it's fun. It's, it's got some things I like about it. Uh, it's very watchable, but it's one of these things where I don't necessarily feel the need to watch the sequels with this franchise. I like the original and I like the new trilogy. Uh, this isn't like other franchises where like every time I'm watching, I'm like, no, I'm watching every single one. Yeah, it's just not. I like this franchise. It's not Friday the Thirteenth for me. And obviously, 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 you shut your mouth. Uh, <laughs> obviously, it's not like I'm not saying the obviously the peaks of Plat of the Apes are much higher than the peaks of Friday the Thirteenth because that's just a dumb slasher series. But uh, you know what I mean. It's like you know, there's, there's a much bigger dip because <laughs> it's like, oh, now we're down I, here. I find something in all the sequels that I enjoy. I think they just come out in a time where I just enjoy watching those films. I don't know. Well, we'll wait and see. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so. I like I liked Beneath the Planet of the Apes too. I, I, I found positives in it. I think I said some nice things about it last night. Mm-hmm. I think I said it was just an interesting film. Mm-hmm. That's worth something. It spends a lot of the lore. Yes. Alright, there you go. Alright, so I've made it this far in the review. Um, put the phrase "I loathe bananas" in the the comments. Whether well or not it's true or not, I mean I, I enjoy a banana uh, myself, but uh, if you if you do or don't put "I loathe bananas" in the in the comments, uh, I'm going to make Tara do her pose for the thumbnail. So here we go. Uh, you don't have to lean back; you're already not cut off. Uh, here we go. A bit higher this time. Three, two, one. Pose. Generic yeah. smile. Yeah, you had nothing for that one, did you? <laughs> like, there was no gimmicky thing, no proper. <laughs> no. Sorry. Just. Okay. All right. Well, there you go. Um, you don't have any like those like little building block things that Zero had in the movie lying around that you can sort of be like, oh, put them together. Oh, no. Nah. Oh well. I tried. I tried, folks. Tried I could buy some up. Legos, maybe. <laughs> build a tiny stair please don't please don't <laughs> <laughs> all right uh so there you go uh that is uh, escape from planet of the apes 
Uh, so hopefully you enjoyed our thoughts on it. Please do let us know in the comments what you think. Please do like. The liking is super important. It's the free way to support us. Obviously mentioned Patreon earlier if you want to give us financial support over at patreon.com slash TV. But a like on YouTube uh, mm-hmm. is super important and helps p- more people find us. Uh, you know, lets the algorithm know to, to pimp us out a little bit and we always like when that happens a bit more. So please do. Um, and if we get enough likes on this video, maybe next time Tara's going to say smash that like button unironically mm. at the end. Mm. <laughs> and, she's going to, and she's going to give it her all. But I really do hope that you, that you <laughs> like the video. <laughs> I'm so torn. <laughs> so please do that. Uh, Tara, would you like to promote any other content that Mailfest TV have? Well, guess what? We have a new series that we're reviewing. <gasps> It is classic science fiction. It is Babylon 5, a show that I really don't know much about. I've seen some of season one and didn't continue it. But now I will be reviewing it episode by episode with Peter, who I think loves the show. So we'll check it out together. Well, I've seen a lot of it, but I've, I've liked a lot of what I've seen so far. And mm-hmm. we're going to have some fun going through it. And, uh, you know, hopefully. Hopefully, figure out what's the deal with that guy's hair. <laughs> Lando, <laughs> yes. or Londo, Londo, yeah, Londo. Um, yes, and also maybe see where Star Trek stole some of its best ideas from. So, <gasps> how dare you? <laughs> I do remember there being a lot of similarities between what I saw in season one and Deep Space Nine. There's even like a, a main character that is has the same I'm- name. I'm pretty sure, like they tried legal action, because because Babylon Five was first, Deep Space Nine came came after. If I, I, I say JMS even like I don't know if he consulted on possibly writing for Star Trek, mm. and then it's kind of funny how all of a sudden, I don't know, uh, I could be wrong. I, I might yeah, be making up things. It there. might be tough for me because Deep Space Nine is my favorite Star Trek series. Uh, if you're gonna steal, steal from the best, I guess. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. <laughs> Okay, look, I promise, I look, see, this is the advantage you have, is that when we do this show, is I've not seen Deep Space Nine yet, so I, I can't point out all the things that m- could be stolen, because I don't know what's in Deep Space Nine yet. Okay. Well, right? I'll be happy to point it out. <laughs> um, uh, you could remain silent, and then when I do eventually watch Deep Space Nine, I'm going to look back and go, damn it, I could have been chastising <laughs> Star Trek left and right. Um, I'm sure it's only the premise. I'm sure by the time Deep Space Nine actually gets good, because I hear it gets really good like season four. I'm sure by the time it gets there, it's doing all its own things. Uh, I think by the end of season one, it starts to get pretty good. Sure. I've heard season four, but you love Star Trek, so you're obviously going to defend it. Yeah, I mean, everyone says when the goatee <laughs> happens or when Worf shows up, which is season four, but I mean, it's... There's, you know... Mm. There's good stuff before then, too. Even season uh, one had some good episodes, which is rare for Star Trek. Yes, and just to round out this this uh, little bit of a tangent before we wrap up here, everyone's hoping that uh, Michael's new haircut and the new Discovery season is going to be Discovery's version of the the Riker beard, the the Cisco beard slash shaved head. She's not a haircut, she has hair extensions. <laughs> haircut just means hairstyle. It's used interchangeably. I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> yes, it's not literally a cut. I agree. It's has grown out or has been extended with the hair and makeup department doing their wizardry. I don't really care what her hair is, but I'm I'm excited for season three to be coming back. 
Not, not to I, I it's, it's an arbitrary thing, but it's just because Star Trek has this thing where it got good when these things happened to other characters, so... <laughs> they're, they're sort of like... Well, the Klingons grew hair last season, so... Last season was pretty good. But I like season one. Anyway, uh, watch better. Babylon 5 with us. <laughs> yes. Yes, uh, coming soon. In fact, it may be later this week when this goes out, or maybe next week, but it's soon. Very soon. Uh, the first one will be going out, so look forward mm. to that. So, thank you very much once again for watching or listening. Get us on Twitter at the Ace Podcast uh, or at mailed underscore fuzz for general mail fuzz channel updates. But that is us, so thank you once again. We'll see you next time. Keep watching science fiction and computer at Salsa. I hate every ape I see from chimpanzee to chimpanzee.